The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back, world, to a solid seven podcast, a better than average podcast, if I do say so myself. This is, of course, not a show about nothing, but it's also not a show about any one thing. Each week, I get together with a guest. We talk about whatever is going on in the world that interests us. And this week, I'm happy to welcome back podcast regular, Mr. Chris Arroyo. Welcome back, sir. Well, thank you for having me back, man. Hey, it hasn't been without its trials and tribulations, eh? <laughs> uh, no, no, <laughs> it has not. Are you referring to the technical issues or personal craziness? Uh, well, hey, I mean, take your pick, right? But uh, uh, regular listeners will know. Um, I have not been pleased with uh, Riverside here lately, which is the once cool recording service that I was using to be able to record video while we record and get transcripts and be able to let Patreon listeners listen in live. And, uh, man, I've just been fighting it. I raked them over the coals pretty good last episode. Mm. Uh, I went back to them uh, after that, and they gave me all kinds of troubleshooting stuff, and I did all of it. And none of it worked. And you experienced some of that with me because you were kind enough this week to uh, hop in some test recordings. And uh, I think you can attest to the fact that I'm not crazy. Like there were just unworkable audio delays. Yeah, it was to the point where we couldn't have a normal conversation. Like it would just be such a huge delay. But but you know what, though? We have backups on backups today. So We really do. Well, full disclosure... Um, you're my second podcast of the day today, uh, actually recorded episode 99 a couple of hours ago. Um, so did it backwards today, but you, yeah, you're my second podcast today and, um, I tried it out. I was giving it the old, uh, I don't know, heave ho, the old college try, whatever, uh, with that guest. And, uh, you know, of course, trying to use Riverside made me look a little foolish with that first time guest. Um, It just wouldn't work. The last thing I was trying, because I wanted it to work, right? I, 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 when the service works well, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the last thing was they, they want you to use a Chrome based browser, which essentially means either Chrome or edge. So one of the last things I hadn't tried that they asked for was, well, try Edge instead of Chrome. Okay, roger that. We'll try Edge. Uh, and I tried Edge, and it just just wouldn't work. And so I, I thought it was going to be usable one way or the other because when you and I were running our tests, uh, listeners, part of what's cool about Riverside is that it records all the video and audio 
natively. So that means it's not just like recording to the cloud. Like what I'm recording video-wise and audio-wise on my side is recording right onto my device. What Chris is, same thing on Chris's side, it's recording right on his device locally. And so that just avoids like compression and weird things with your audio and video. So then you get higher quality. So the end result should be a better quality product. Well, one of the things that it does is as you're doing your thing, it's supposed to be simultaneously uploading that. So even while you're recording, it's supposed to be transmitting that uh, to their servers uh, so that you can download it on the back end. So one of the things they wanted me to try was, oh, well, pause the simultaneous upload. Pause one of those things that are, is, are a feature that make us worth having. Okay, I'll pause it. <laughs> and that, that greatly reduced the near five-second delay in the audio. Uh, on both sides for you and I doing that. Um, but today when I try to do that with, uh, when I was recording with, with next week's guest, um, there was still, it was reduced, but there was still too much of a delay for conversation. We actually ended up recording over, over zoom. Wow. Uh, yeah. So the, the only thing left that I could do on my end, because I haven't made any changes while I've been using Riverside, I haven't changed any of the equipment. I haven't changed uh, internet service provider. I haven't changed modems. I haven't changed routers. Nothing has changed on my end with the exception of the one thing I thought I couldn't remember when the Mac OS update came out for Ventura. So it could have been that, but I would think they would get a lot of blowback on that if it's a Ventura issue. Yeah. But the one thing that I could do is take my MacBook air out of the chain. So I'm actually using my iPad Pro right now, which has, by the way, the same exact processor in it, which part of their take was, oh, you know, doing the simultaneous upload, it looks like it's just stressing out your processor too much. My, like, ba just barely a generation old Apple M1 chip in my MacBook Air is, is being processed. Now, the same exact chip in my iPad seems to be doing <gasps> just fine right now. Okay. So we'll see. I'm still running a backup recording on my side. You're running a backup recording on your side. Yeah. The, sh the show must go on. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll work. <laughs> You're an idiot. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had to. But I had to. One thing that never changes, regardless of how we record, is the fact that this podcast is, as always, fueled by Jocko Go. It's time, sir. Grab a can, crack that bad boy open. There you go, a little ASMR for you. Mm. I uh, it's a two for actually it's a three for for me. I, you know I had my normal Jocko go today. I had one when recording for episode ninety nine, and uh, this is number three because you're worth it and you can't have too much of a good thing. So go in uh, sour apple sniper this time. So cheers, sir. Thank you, sir. Mm. So wait a second. So how many cups of coffee and how many Jockos are you are you on today? Listen, bro, you just need to mind your business is the thing. Like don't don't ask questions you don't want answers to. No, I do uh most mornings I have an Americano uh with a couple tablespoons of heavy cream in it. Uh the the roast for the uh connoisseurs out there is the AK espresso roast from Black Rifle Coffee which gets delivered to my home freshly roasted every three weeks. And uh, those beans, of course, get ground fresh just before I pull my espresso shots from my Americano because I'm not an animal. 
Right. Not an animal. Um, and then really when the Jacko go falls in the day depends on the day, right? So if I'm working out before work, uh, then I'll actually start with the Jacko go. Like that'll be a pre-workout. So I'll hit that instead. And then the coffee comes in after the workout. Uh, but if I'm working out in the afternoon, I'll normally do coffee in the morning and sit on the Jocko Go uh, again and until just before the workout. Some days, it dep- like if the kids have wrecked the sleep or if it's a, you know, I need to be particularly focused for a meeting or a task, I'll hit that Jocko Go early and then, you know, just, uh, you know, you just get after it in the workout anyways. I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's that's normally the layout. So I wouldn't say I overconsume. I have uh, I'm blessed to have an ember mug. You ever seen these ember mugs? Em- ember mug. Ember E M B E R like uh, an ember from a fire. But oh. it's they got Bluetooth and it's got a battery and it's got a, a heater in the bottom of it. And so not only will the mug recognize when you've put a hot beverage in it, but it will heat it precisely to your desired temperature. Okay. Okay. So I tend to be like, I don't guzzle coffee at work. I tend to nurse coffee at work. So like it can sit, it'll especially, so the coaster is the charger. So it'll stay hot for quite a while off the charger. Um, if I, if I take it to a meeting or something like that, but I can sit and keep the same cup of coffee all day long if I'm nursing it. Okay. Uh, and it'll stay right at 135 degrees all day long. Wow. Are are you a little worried though that people may may look at this as an example of you being high maintenance? Um I prefer the term bougie. bougie. Um I, right. I self I identify as bougie. Um Well that's what you're uh, saying, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean ultimately, yeah, like the ember certainly a first world convenience, but it probably ultimately results either in less coffee waste or less consumption of coffee for me. Cause it does make it convenient to just kind of sip and nurse the same cup of coffee for mm. quite a while. It's more a pacifier than a beverage. Right. Right. Well, so I went to Starbucks this morning and you know how I have the palate of a basic white girl. We've talked about this before. Indeed. Indeed. I do. Um, so I had an amazing beverage today. I ordered so it's kind of like a pumpkin spice latte, okay. except except you substitute the pumpkin pump with white chocolate mocha. Okay, it's called the Cinderella latte, and I felt like Cinderella drinking it. That's pretty. It's pretty apropos. I I don't mind. Um... My coffee tastes are very eclectic. So there's certainly coffee I don't like, certain roasts. Like I know there's people that swear by Dunkin'. It's not for me. It's too much molasses flavor to it. Just don't like it. The people that tend to like Dunkin' tend to dislike Starbucks. I don't know if there's some mass psychosis going on there in either direction. Dunkin' people say, you know, Starbucks tastes burnt or too bitter or whatever. And the reality is the same exact, regardless of where you're at, the same exact roast brewed different ways will take on a different flavor profile. So whether or not you're grinding that for like an espresso pole or a drip, or you're doing something like an aero press or a French press or a Chemex or all these different uh, ways, the temperature of the water, how long the grounds are exposed to the water, 
how much of, of the grounds, of the fines, the filter you're using let through. All of that will actually change the flavor profile of the same exact coffee. Mm. Uh, and then just for funsies, if you really want to play with your palate, you know, get a couple of different cups of, of coffee, of roast, wherever you're at, and get like a, a cookie with some chocolate in it and something without some chocolate, maybe some berry, like a scone or something sweet. And it's funny, you can, you'll taste the coffee like raw, like clear palate. Take a bite of that thing, finish it, and then taste that coffee again. It's going to take on a completely different flavor profile. It, it's, it's tricky. You know, it's, it's almost like an optical illusion for your mm -hmm. palate. Mm -hmm. so all those things will affect that. And of course, loading your coffee up with sugar and syrup will, of course, it covers a multitude of sins. So the base coffee can really be hot garbage. Uh, when really it's just an accent to your, the sugar water that you're mm -hmm. drinking. Mm -hmm. All that to say, I can enjoy a good black coffee, no problem, and in all kinds of different roasts, light, dark, everything in between. Um, uh, and I just can't I can, do it. I can appreciate it with, with some cream. I can appreciate some sugar. Once upon a time, I didn't hate the frou-frou-y drinks. I didn't hate a, a caramel macchiato or a pumpkin spice latte. These days, I've so removed like the overly sweet and sugary stuff that if I just get, like if I just go to Starbucks and order one of those sweet lattes just the way they come, it's so sickly sweet that it really yeah. throws me up. Because there's like typically four pumps of syrup if you don't tell them otherwise. Mm -hmm. In like a, you know, like a grande latte, which I love. Have you ever seen the clip? I don't know what movie it's from. It's Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks. And he orders a large coffee or something like that. <laughs> yes. The girl is like, if you watch the clip too far, it gets unsafe for the little ears. But he just basically berates her for the ridiculousness of the whole like tall grande venti yeah. uh, uh, thing. And it's, 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 you know, if, if you have, uh, you know, if you're easily offended, if you have more sensitive ears, don't go looking for that clip. Um, if it's a little harder to offend you, um, I would search it out. It will make you laugh. You see, like I'm, I'm 35 years old and I'm not confident in my knowledge of those sizes. I think I automatically just say grande cause I think of nachos, yeah. like nacho yeah. grande. I don't know if that's small, medium or large. I don't know where it's at in the hierarchy of the Starbucks cup. I really don't. It is, it is pretty ridiculous not to just say small, medium and large. But I also think most of the time you're there, if you ordered a small, medium, or large, I don't think the person behind the counter or on the other side of the speaker is going to correct you. Like if you ask for a medium, you're going to be like, hey. I don't know about that because like when up here in New York, I, I, every barista I've had has been slightly on the judgy side. And when I say barista, I mean somebody from Starbucks. Now, if it's like a local shop, they're great to me. In fact, when you, when you eventually come up and visit us, Kale, we will do a coffee tour throughout the Hudson River Valley to get a good, to take you to the good places. But uh, yeah, I felt even kind of judged this morning as I ordered my Cinderella latte. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, now, I'll, I'll, I, what I will do is things. I, I've per perfected some things of my own that I believe should be on the menu. Okay. Um, so if you want to you treat yourself a little bit. Now, this one you can do hot 
or iced, and it's fantastic. What you do is you get an Americano, all right? You get it with the blonde espresso roast, and you ask for a ristretto shot. Now, a ristretto shot is a shorter pole, so it's the same amount of espresso, but they pass less stream through it. It's a shorter pole. You get an Americano with the blonde roast and the espresso or and the ristretto shot, and you have them add a splash of heavy cream to that. Now, if it happens to be the fall season and you want to treat yourself a little bit, then you also add the pumpkin spice seasoning to it. Um, and what you do is you sit down and you enjoy, you enjoy that drink. And then you go straight to your social media. You tag me, you tag Solid 7 Podcast. And you say, thank you, Kale. Thank you, Solid 7 Podcast. You were right yet again. Mm. But, yet again. But don't tag Solid 7 if it's not in an ember cup. Because otherwise, you're just not, you're not at the bougie Kale level. Nah, you, you drink that out of whatever you want to. You <laughs> could, could. If you become a Solid 10 member of our Patreon, you could be drinking that from a better than average coffee mug. You could be drinking that from your Solid 7 mug. And if you take your own beverage container in there, if you take a reusable cup in, you get extra stars. At Starbucks, really? You get ex- if, you, if you take in a reusable container for your coffee, they give you bonus stars. Look at that. The hippies are onto something. Yeah. Now, now, listen, I want to be real clear here um, because I would love to be sponsored by them someday. If you're anywhere near one of the new and upcoming Black Rifle Coffee freestanding stores, all this goes out the, rin- the window. You pass as many Starbucks as it takes to get to that Black Rifle location and you drink America's co- you drink Freedom's coffee. They do really cool stuff. I mean, they have yeah. they do partnerships even with Travis Pastrana, which is uh-huh. a cool guy. Yeah. So they uh, uh, they're doing freestanding locations now. They've opened several, and uh, they're about to open another one. I want to say it's in Kalispell, but it's Andy Stumpf is the is the owner on that one. Uh, for, uh, former SEAL Team Six uh, Dev Grew uh, guy. So and uh, the stores just look amazing. So. So I'm I'm holding now. I man, if I was ever going to do something different than what I'm doing, uh, uh, a black rifle franchise would would it, it interests me. I can see where it would, you know, between yeah. your love of America and yeah. freedom and coffee, they kind of cornered the market there. Yeah, and I feel like it's the kind of company that would support you in firing bad customers, and that's. Mm not all I really want in life, but man, it's a lot of it. I could see that. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. I think they'd be okay with not, not abusing customers, not abusing, not treating customers poorly, but some customers need to be fired. Customers or employees? Yes. <laughs> some, some customers aren't worth the hassle. That's real. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, when, if you occasionally needed to fire one, I, I feel like Black Rifle's the kind of company that would be okay with that. I feel like, Kale, you would be the type of person who would like, like have a group of, of employees hire an actor 
to act like a recent hire, only to fire them in front of the other employees. Just for kicks. And to instill instill fear and respect. I want to say it's not a horrible idea, um, just for the laughs. Clearly, the Jocko in my, my voice, the, the um, extreme ownership, the student of leadership understands that's no way to engender uh, you know, respect and loyalty from your, from your employees. Um, but it's not that it's not like it, like it doesn't have any appeal. It's also almost very Dwight, like almost literally when the office, when they merged in the office, he told Michael he should fire somebody right off the bat. (laughs) (laughs) I I was more leaning towards Ron Swanson and that kind of thing. Remember when he pulls out his own tooth? Great episode. Yeah. He also uh, accuses someone of breaking the coffee maker just to see them all fight over it and throw each other <laughs> under the because things were getting too chummy. If Ron isn't the embodiment of a great leader, I don't know what is. Yeah. I don't think everything I need to know about life I learned from Greg Daniels and Mike Schur, but boy, they covered a lot of it. They did. They did. Uh, so what's good, man? How you been? Oh man, it's been fun over here. It's uh sunny and balmy 41 degrees right now. I was about to say there's been some crazy weather that's come through the, the North and the Northeast, but I feel like you've somehow managed to dodge like all of it. Like it's been lackluster. We have, we've barely had any snow. The snowblower has come out only one time and that was in, November, December time frame, and it was very, very little. So very lackluster winter up here for us. I, uh, I saw that Mount Washington, which I believe is in New Hampshire, uh, but everything's very close up there. It's, it's funny that it's called New England because it is almost that European vibe where like a lot of countries over there would barely rate as a state here, just like... Yeah size and gdp and whatever why so it's like that's why they're like oh why do you people all need to own cars well because things are spread out over here you can't just like walk three countries over but the northeast is very much like that that's why people will live like in connecticut and commute into new york city and different stuff like that right right well we also have a lot a lot of trains and stuff like our actual uh public transit system is I wouldn't say world-renowned, but it, it exists a little yeah. bit. But so during that, I don't know what it was supposed to be because they, they, I feel like they keep naming new bad weather things or renaming new bad weather things. But so bomb cyclone or whatever it was that came through that was the really bad weather here yeah. recently. On Mount Washington, like the wind chill bottomed out at like negative 114 Fahrenheit or 121 oh. I believe, I don't care enough to look it up right now, I believe it was a new record low for the continental U.S. Wow. You see where I'm at? Winds over 100 miles an hour. Like hurricanes. Yeah, that's wild. Like even even the Midwest, they get way harsher weather than we get here. I mean, the only thing really cool that's happened is we had an earthquake in Buffalo, but... I'm not in Buffalo. And thank God for that. <laughs> Though kudos to Buffalo on your wings. They're quite lovely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
I appreciate a nice Buffalo wing. Well, dude, I mean, speaking of earthquakes, man, this, this deal in Turkey, Syria is bad, bad, oh. bad. I keep, when I, when I first added this to our show notes, like the day it happened, day after it happened, it was like 5,000, 7,000 dead, confirmed dead, something like that. I've had to update that note in the show notes like three times before we've recorded. There are over 15,000 confirmed dead now. Well, and an hour ago, I just heard 20,000. So that's even gone up. I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. And as far as natural disasters are concerned, how how do you prepare for an earthquake? I mean, you try to do building code stuff, but with a hurricane, you have time to prep. You know, with everything else, okay, you have some time. Earthquake, there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there actually, next week's guest, who I recorded with earlier today, uh, I won't spoil the whole thing, but part of what he does professionally, he's an engineer by trade. He works with Purdue uh, and he works uh, through uh, one of these uh, government agencies that sets up the labs for outside groups to study these things against um, earthquakes, tsunamis, all these different natural disasters and stuff. And we get a little deep in the weeds on this experiment that's um, that they're testing right now for this uh, wood building product and so they've got this like 10 story tall building on just this gargantuan shake it's essentially this big crazy shaker table uh but they they can input stuff into this table um that's like exact statistics from actual events like earth moving events so they're studying whatever they're studying is holding up to the exact conditions that were created. It's crazy stuff. He, he does a great job explaining it, and there will there'll be some links in next week's show notes. Uh, I don't know how much of that's going on mm. in Turkey and Syria. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and certainly not to make light of it, but it is, you know, sometimes, you know, like right now, I've been trying to get a tiny house built in my backyard for almost three years. Um, it took forever to get through the permitting process with oh. the city. By time it was all finally, it had to go. I'm building a Lego with a roof in my backyard, like 12 by 36. It's, it's, it's just dumb. It's going to look just like the main house. It's going to be behind the main house where you can hardly see it from. You can't see it from the road. You can hardly see it from the side. It's going to be in my driveway to see the thing. Um, and still, it had to go to our full city council for approval. It's just mm. it's just an insane process. And by the time it was all improved, all the COVID stuff had gone down. Costs had gone through the roof. I'm paying 40% more for this thing mm. than when I signed the contract on it. Uh, and I, the approval fell like at the worst part of the lumber shortage. So there was a 10-month delay for the roof trust roof trust that mind you and i'm no handyman i could go in the backyard and frame the trust for this thing myself but you can't because of codes and because of um trademarks on the on the the joist or the part that, that hold the joint hold the joints together so you can't just build these things the builder can't just show up with carpenters and frame these things. It's insane. So you got to get them from these companies. The companies are all backlogged. It was like a 10-month wait. So I'm just now like finally going to be able to get trust for this thing. So we're finally going to be able to break ground. 
My daughter turned three a couple of months ago. She was in my wife's womb when I signed the contract on this thing. That's wild. So it's easy to sit back and go like government overreach and this is ridiculous and this shouldn't be this difficult and this shouldn't take that long. And there's some validity to all of that. But also it's tough. It's tough to belabor all of our building codes and all of that stuff in a scenario like this when you're watching what the alternative is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so scary. Like to how can anyone in a third world country like survive? I mean, they're not really third world. I guess some parts of them are, but I I mean, mean, the NATO ally. (laughs) Yeah. Turkey's like, yeah, NATO ally. Kind of just barely, but they are. Well, <laughs> we need all the friends we can get at this point. So. Yeah. But it is it is trippy the way this stuff, um, and I mean, to some extent it makes sense, but the way this stuff tends to cluster and happen, you know, like big earthquake there and then something in Buffalo. And it's just, you know, obviously, and I, I think that science has um, evolved. I think we've learned more since you and I were in classes where they would have been teaching about this stuff. But I think we still believe in tectonic plates and mm-hmm. the man, the magma and the shifting of things. And it's kind of, it, it just makes sense that if shifting is causing issues here, then elsewhere on the border of that plate and those plates, there's going to be other issues created. It makes um, sense. I mean, that's what every science center, you know, has on display. You should ask. Yeah. You should ask the guy if he's responsible for the little like shaker table thing at all of these science centers that you know you, we went to as a kid. Uh, I'll yeah, you know, follow back up with him with that question for, which is funny. People will be listening to this first, and I'm saying I'll follow back up with him. But I think people understand the timeline here. Oh, you have a time uh, machine. But yeah, I well, and I mean, you even look at I just like. Um, the, the planet's been pretty active here recently, but then it tends to always kind of be active somewhere, right. uh, you know, but like the volcanoes in Hawaii were recently popping off a little more than they usually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on that Pacific, you know, ring of fire type thing, I don't know if any other part of the ring was kind of doing its thing. Maybe we were just getting coverage of uh, the Hawaiian part here in the States, but it's a, it's part of why um, this might seem like an obscure turn, but like as a Christian, like, and, and you'll appreciate this, um, there there's always a subset of Christianity that is just convinced 100% that we are currently living at the end times, mm-hmm. and that we're like right at the end of the end times, like not at the start of the end times, and just Jesus is coming back any day now. And, you know, they, they cite things from the Bible, you know, their uh, wars and rumors of wars and natural disaster and all this stuff. And my, my take, not a pastor, you are okay. not a theologian. Um, I'm speaking for myself and not Chris. I don't want him to get in trouble with his denominational overlords. <laughs> but my thing is like that stuff never just holds a lot of weight with me because I think all of the standards for the signs of the end times were intentionally vague because I think scripture and I think Jesus were very clear that the point is you're always supposed to have one eye on the sky. You're always supposed to live like it could be any moment to quote Tim McGraw, live like you're dying. 
right? Like that's, that's the point. And so like, okay, natural disasters and wars of ru- and rumors of wars, Always you know happened. what there, yeah. You know what? There's never not been in all of human history, uh, natural disasters. And I would say all before you, since the fall. Okay. Yes. Christians out there will get pedantic with it. And for the non-Christian listeners, we, we can move on. I mean, go to church for sure, but I'm already, you know, DM me and I'll walk you down the Roman road. Uh, but, but that's, it's really not the bag of what we do here, but it, that's always just struck me as funny as I'm like, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's natural disasters. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, when did, when, when did Vesuvius blow and bury Pompeii? Like they, yeah. somebody probably, Oh, end times eh, missed yeah. it. Yeah. And the, the whole rumors of wars thing, when everyone pointed it out, I'm like, yeah, have you studied anything? 18th century 17th century there is there's there's only like you said there hasn't been not a war you know yeah i think what the bible kind of what we should be looking at is not necessarily climate change but cultural change like culture shifts and things like that and indications of where where morality is going that's that's to me more of an indicator than wars and rumors of wars yeah, but society's gone completely to crap several times before too. True. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I don't. It's not that I don't think uh, Jesus is coming back. It's not that I don't think there are going to be end times. I just think trying to pin it down misses the point. Right, a hundred percent. Because uh, it always drove me nuts too when you had these Christian leaders. Well, I say Christian. Uh, like with the air quotes, like Christian people going like, oh, th- on this very day, we are expecting the Lord to come back. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? The day you say it is, congratulations. Now it's not going to be that day. Yeah. I wonder, is that, you know, is that kind of a hack? Like, what do you mean? So, like, the, you know, like the deal is like no man knows the day and time. Yeah. So if we just repeatedly exclaim that it's varying days and times, then are those by default excluded? Oh, that's some deep theology. Like if I say, I say for sure, dude, it's tomorrow at noon. Why? For 100% it's tomorrow at noon. And then tomorrow at noon comes and somebody comes out and says, no, it's going to be 3 p.m. today. We just keep that ball rolling. <laughs> we got to be yeah. right some, at some point. Yeah. I think you have. I, I think the catch there is you. You would have to actually know, and right. not, not just be guessing. I don't think. I don't think God left a loophole there. But I, it's I it's so. it's fun to talk about. And who says Christians can't? Mm-hmm. Oi, stuff. But uh, nothing uh, again. And well, I do always like to throw this out. Uh, you know, we've been doing the podcast long enough now. This is episode ninety eight. Ninety nine is already in the can. Uh, big guest coming for for 100 and all time. Uh, Solid Seven podcast fan favorite uh, coming back for episode 100. Um, but when you've been podcasting this long, you cover quite a few natural disasters. And the one thing I like to throw every time is if you're wondering, like, what can I do? How can I help? One of my favorite organizations to support for things like this is Convoy of Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally one of the... Free, I mean 
governmental, non-governmental agencies, doesn't matter. Convoy of Hope is typically one of the first teams uh, in a place helping like this. And they're usually one of, if not the last one out. So when everybody's forgotten and moved on to the next thing, they're still there. And it's not just food, which is important. And it's not just clothes, but they help clear debris. They help people build their lives back. And so if you're looking for a good way to help, uh, you know, and you're not grabbing a construction helmet and hopping on a plane yourself. Uh, Convoy of Hope is a, a great way to do that. So I always like to throw that out with this stuff. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because you can't, you know, governments can help and things, but it's, you know, regular people can do stuff too. It doesn't have to be all through the government. Yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, regular people tend to do more America in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh all of our foreign aid dollars aside, the American people uh, are incredibly giving and generous uh, and tend to step up at, at times like this. So I'm sure that will be the case here as well, though tougher now than, than usual when uh, a lot of the money we would use to help is instead paying for eggs and gas and lumber for trusts and, and, and so. It's crazy. If, if my, uh, if if my local government would let me get a chicken, like I would, I would get a couple of chickens right now because eggs are ridiculous. Yeah, I um, you know, I'm I'm torn though. I'm not sure what to do because I I go to the grocery store and I see the prices, and I go to the gas pump and I see the prices, and uh, you know, I look at my paychecks and I see the taxes. And uh, I look at the coming bills for the labor and materials going into this tiny house uh, and everything seems worse. Everything seems more expensive. Everything seems not to go quite as far. And yet in the State of the Union last week. Yeah, I didn't really uh, hear anything about it. Well, President Biden seemed to think things are going pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I. Full disclosure, I didn't watch. Did you watch? I I watched afterwards. I didn't watch it live. Yeah. Well, what? I, why does this thing start at nine p.m. Eastern? What I don't world? understand that either. Like, what the heck? So, like, we're you know we're mid bedtime, right? So, I wasn't gonna watch it live, and you know, full disclosure, I don't think I watched Trump's live. Um, I just haven't in a while. They're they don't serve their intended purpose. Like they're they're not they're not a report to Congress from the executive on the state of our union. Mm-hmm. They're at this point they're a glorified stump speech, per, particularly for first term presidents. Um, and there's some entertainment value, I guess. It's gotten a little Jerry Springer like, um, but. Uh, I'm just, it's not like it, I'm, it, it's not like it's going to be this source of accurate enlightening knowledge about things. Yeah. You're never going to hear anything new or like ground, like earth shattering, you know? No, it's just going to be spin like from either side. It's just going to be spin. Um, you know, so I caught highlight. I didn't even watch after Chris. I, oh, wow. uh, I, I read some headlines. I read some articles. I watched some clips. I figured I'd get the gist. And I think I pretty much got the gist. And I think it was pretty much exactly what I thought it was going to be. 
I, I do think it's funny. Um, of course I do. I probably wouldn't think it was funny if I had different political leanings. Um, but the president Biden basically got fact checked in real time on some things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tried throwing out there, which I mean, this is just always pro of these Republicans want to take away your social security and your Medicare. And I mean, they just, they just blew up on him and it was like, Good. he backtracked, he backtracked on it. He's like, I'm not saying it's a majority. I'm not even saying it's that many. Uh, but contact my office. I'll show you the proposal on my desk. Show us the proposal, bro. Show us. Do it. Exactly. I, w- I, I was happy to see that, that at least a, a lie got called out. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what side you're on, or regardless on whether you're paying into Social Security or not, when you hear a government leader make a bold-faced lie about an opponent, you know, the, the opposite party, that doesn't help anybody. No. And it's just so disingenuous because if you want to end Social Security and Medicare, let me tell you a guaranteed way to do it. Don't change anything. Mm-hmm. Leave, leave everything about those programs as it is right now. And those programs will cease to exist because it's an unsustainable liability. There's a, when, when we enacted social security, the average lifespan was like two years shorter than the collection date. Most people didn't live to collect. And then you had something, I can't even remember the numbers. I didn't look them up, but you had, far more people paying into the system than there were collecting any given time. Well, that math, especially with baby boomers has turned upside down completely. And the problem is I think people think about social security like it's actually an investment plan. Like it's actually a retirement plan. Like the government took that money that you paid in and parked that somewhere and let it gain interest so that money would be waiting there to pay you in your later years. No, the government can't stand to sit on top of money. They can't stand it. That money is gone. And so it's been a Ponzi scheme where they're using your money for other things and using the money from younger people coming in behind you to pay you. But then that, that money's extra gone when it t- comes time for them to get there. I'll tell you right now, sitting here at 42 years old, our financial planner, he doesn't even factor Social Security payments into our financial planning for retirement. He's like, if it's actually there, if you ever see a dime of it, it'll, it'll just be gravy. It'll be extra. Mm-hmm. He's like, but it would be folly for us to plan on that income for you in retirement because with no changes, it won't be there because the money that I've paid in that you've paid in is long gone. The money we're paying in right now is paying the people who are collecting now. And yeah. there's less, there's less of us per retiree doing that. So we haven't done anything, even as lifespans have grown much longer, we haven't done anything to extend the age at which you can collect. We haven't done anything to protect those funds. We haven't done anything to grow those funds. Uh, It's just not going to work. And we can't tax our way out of it. And then if you do spend your evening sitting and listening to something like the State of the Union, what you hear floated as a solution for problems like this is, well, we're going to tax these billionaires. We're going to make them pay their fair share. Well, cool, bro. Tax them at 100%. It gets us nowhere. 
we're $30 trillion in debt and growing. Take 100% of what these billionaires make. Take 100% of what they're worth. It ain't going to make a dent. Mm-hmm. A trillion? A trillion is 1,000 billion. When Elon's fortune peaked, which wasn't real money, it was stock value. Until he sold the stock, none of that money was real. But the peak of his value was $280 billion, and he was the richest man the world had ever known. So $30 trillion, $3,000 billion. That's what... Thir- no, no. $3 trillion would be $3,000 billion. Thir- $30 trillion is $30,000 billion. $30,000 billion. You can't tax the billionaires to get us out of our problems. So yeah. yes, something has to change and, about and, Medicare. And to add to that, uh, I think the latest statistic that I saw was there's 18% less of Gen Z than we had of the previous. So like, it's not like we're, we're having more kids who will eventually help pay into the system. We're having fewer and fewer, which is scary. Oh, well, how about this? There's no means testing for Social Security. So here's what I mean by that. If you make minimum wage your whole life and live long enough to collect Social Security, you'll get whatever the Social Security payments are. If you retire as Elon Musk and you live long enough to collect Social Security, you'll get Social Security payments. Yeah. He doesn't need them. There's no means test. So we're cutting Social Security checks to people who might not even notice they're receiving the money. That's real. That's real. But So hey. there, there, there's all these reasonable tweaks that can and should be made to these programs. Now, there's a, another longer, more nuanced and complicated debate over whether or not these programs should exist. I do not think these programs are, I think they're a usurpation of power. I think they're tyrannical. I think they're theft. I do not, I do not think, this is the libertarian in me, that they are an appropriate role for government. But you know what I'm not? A sitting U.S. senator or representative And even though I think that, and there's some people out there that think they shouldn't exist, the fact remains that no Republican who's actually in elected office in D.C. right now has put forth a plan to eliminate them, nor do they intend to. No. And you know that if me or or you ever run for political office, they're going to find this episode and be like, you see? Yes. And what they won't provide is the follow-up context of – I think that it should be phased out, not cut off cold. I think if you've paid in, you should get back out. I think there was a, I think there was a promise and an agreement made there. Um, I think part of how you phase it out well, while I'm not certain this is an appropriate role for government either, is allowing personal savings accounts where that money is going in and sitting somewhere to grow and not in a government bond where the government's going, oh, we'll pay it back out at whatever percent interest and they'll go spend it still mm-hmm. um, and just change the Ponzi scheme. 
Um, but private savings account where you can instead, right, even if it's just optional, hey, you want to pay into Social Security, that'd be a great midline step. You can just opt out. If you, you're just, when you file, <laughs> to the extent that we should have to file taxes, when you file, you substantiate, hey, these funds went into a Roth, they went into a 401k, they went into a 403b, they, they went wherever. Um, oh, okay. That, then, then you can, you can, you want to pay into social security. That's where you want to put all your, your eggs, which are much more expensive now. Mm-hmm. Cool. But if you don't, you can take those same funds, put them in an, an interest bearing account, something that can grow tax free, like a Roth, whatever. And that's fine. That'd be a great interim step. Mm-hmm. Uh, but alas, so uh, let's see what other what other goodies did we have? Uh, people got super worked up that Joe Biden kissed the uh, the first gentleman. Oh, his wife. On- his wife. No, she kissed Kamala's husband on the lips oh. when she got to be. But this was like this was the same like energy and duration of kiss that you would like give somebody like a greeting or parting kiss on the cheek with. I, and people were making big stuff out of it. Like, Oh, oh, this is normal. Sarcastically. I'm like, ah, some people are like, not a big deal to me. Yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was a big deal either. Yeah. I, I also didn't quite understand the Romney, uh, Santos beef that happened there. Well, it, this Santos kid appears to be a hot freaking mess. Okay. Um, yes, I agree. Yeah, he's from New York. So, yeah, yeah I, I can't really defend that. So, the only thing that I could say, okay, so he's under investigation. Whatever. Shouldn't most of these people be under investigation? Like, is it? <laughs> it's all of these people. Not it's the so hard. Not to take allegations these days with a grain of salt um, because so many things bear out false now or things we're told are false bear out true. Um, You know, like the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, like the New York Post got banned from Twitter and you couldn't you would get blocked if you reposted links to their story. Um, And people came out and said it was Russian disinformation. But we now know at this point. Factually, 100%, that was Hunter's laptop. It wasn't uh, a a Russian disinformation campaign. It wasn't like everything about it was legit. Um, And we know that 100% now. So when that stuff just continues to happen over and over, um, it's hard not to take these things with a grain of salt. That said, it looks like this kid's probably kind of a pathological lying little weirdo. Uh, there's a lot of oddities there. There's a lot of stuff you you gotta overlook. Yeah. Um, that said, I think uh, Senator Romney. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that he fancies himself um, some. I, I don't know, righteous, pious. I don't know what word we want to use pious here. Is a good word. Yeah. So this this fact you know this the the fact that he's he's there in the chamber for this grand event and here's this uh here's this kid with all of his many transgressions 
sitting right on the aisle, which is pretty coveted. I mean, these people, the people that sit on the aisle show up super early to get those aisle seats. So they get the handshakes and the fist bumps, maybe a kiss on the lips from the first lady. I don't know. Um, and so, uh, evidently Romney didn't like that he was there and, and let him know that. Yeah. So to wow. which this kid, this Santo, this kid Santos came back, not unsurprisingly with a social media post, because that's, that's how we do things these days. Just reminding, uh, Mr. Romney that he would never be president. Yeah. Which, <laughs> which, uh, I'm sorry, but that's funny. That, that really it, is funny. It's, it's both funny and very, very sad. Mm. That's, that's a sitting U.S. congressman. Yeah. He's basically behaving like a high school mean girl. Now, sadly, several of our sitting senators and representatives just act like high school mean girls. Um, you know, it was last week or so, um, Republicans in the house voted to remove, uh, Ilan Omar mm-hmm. from, uh, uh, what is a foreign affairs committee, uh, because of anti-Semitic comments she's made and stuff like that. And the Democrats were of course apoplectic over it. They weren't happy with that move at all, despite them having done similar things to, uh, Republican representatives just in the, the prior Congress. Uh, but, uh, AOC who there's, I, I don't know if there's a more dangerous place on this planet than between a television camera and AOC. Um, but she got up and so, you know, regular listeners, if you've heard Chris on the podcast before, we worked together for a long time. We worked at a church, uh, part of what we did year in and year out where we were at was work with a program, uh, a fine arts program that had annual like district state level competitions that went all the way up to a national level. And one of the more popular and competitive categories in that was a drama solo where you're a single individual, a single, single actor or actress um, acting out a, a written script to the best of your ability. And I'm, I'm watching AOC at the podium in the House chambers rail against this vote to remove Ilan Omar. And hand to God, I was watching a drama solo. That's, yes. that's what it was. And for some reason, it works for her. That, I think that's what angers me the most. is isn't the fact that she does that. It's just the fact that people can't see past it. Yeah, it works for some. And again, like that's... That's fresh in my mind. If we want to get into like Marjorie Taylor Greene, I've seen her do some of the same stuff. I, I just want, I just want better. I just want better out of our, our representatives. All right, left, in between. I like it. Just needs to be a higher standard. It 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 can't be the movie Clueless. Like it just. <laughs> Like that's, I, I want better behavior out of that. And maybe that's the, you know, maybe if I, if I'm going to give him some credit, maybe that's what Mitt Romney thought he was doing. Maybe he's hacked off that like, we should be better than, than this guy. Maybe he's, he's hacked off that, you know, okay, Republicans didn't take the Senate, but they took the house. And instead of talking about our policies, instead of talking about our leadership, we're giving up news cycle after news cycle to this kid and his issues. Um, I, it still, I think came across, you know, pretty smarmy, pretty, you know, old guy, get off my lawn. Right. Um, 
but uh, it's just, there's just so much theater and there's so much, it's just they're petty. There's, there's just so much petty interaction um, on, on both sides. It's just goofy. Yeah. I, at the same time, I wonder if this, we, we see that all the time now because of the constant news cycle, right? 24 hours, you turn on something, news is always in your face. You know, back in the 1700s, 1800s, there was some pettiness going on too. I don't know. To, I mean, to the extent that they were shooting each other, I mean, and, and trying to uh, do do duels with people they didn't like. I there is know. that. There, there is kind of that part of it. So maybe, yeah. maybe this just is American politics, and we're just we we are now two grumpy old men who like watch all of this and want better. In fairness, I've been a grumpy old man since I was like seventeen. Yeah, yeah, and I was born a forty-year-old man. So it's yeah, just one of those things. So there was surprisingly uh, there was there was no mention of mishandled classified documents. I don't know. Oh, of course, not. I, I thought that was a, a big deal. I thought that was the end of our republic. Um, I thought that was, uh, you know, criminal at, at best and treasonous at worst. And uh, it just it just didn't it didn't come up. There wasn't there wasn't time. There was too much to talk about nothing um, about our, our withdrawal from Afghanistan or, or mm-hmm. how things on there just, um, just couldn't squeeze it in. Um, he, he did uh, tout some good news um, that his administration over two years uh, has created more jobs than any president in history over two years, uh, wow. over, t- over 12 million jobs created mm. in the 10 years. Uh, sadly, there's there's some trouble with the math. Um, in that 10, 10 million of of that twelve uh, was just it was lost to COVID shutdowns and oh. downsides. Uh, so it, they, it, they were, those are more old jobs than uh, new jobs. And then out of those other two million, slightly problematic is. Many of those are, are people either returning to work from retirement or taking extra jobs extra because, jobs. again, eggs and, and gas and, and, and whatnot. But, I mean, still, there's jobs. And so... Sure. But, again, it's easy to to celebrate job growth when when you get rid of 10 million jobs. And, and then, like, oh, there's this vacuum now, and now we're bringing all the jobs back. Well, that's... You still lost, and now we're getting back what we already lost. So that's yeah. not a rah rah shishkumba type of moment here. There uh, was, of course, a call to to codify Roe v. Wade, which means they they would like to to pass a bill. They'd like to pass a law uh, making abortion legal throughout the land. So what they're what they're wanting to do, and they're almost on the right track is legislate this through the legislature rather than through the courts, which is what they want to do before. It's part of what's unfair about um, so much hate and anger being thrown at the Supreme Court is they don't write law. They interpret law. And so if they interpret it and you don't like it, all you need to do for a different result is change the law. Now, the problem is those laws have to line up with the Constitution. That's the litmus test for everything. 
So if a law doesn't line up with the Constitution, then you have to meet the much higher hurdle of changing the Constitution. Harder, but not impossible. That's the way things are supposed to work. So it was, it's been the battle cry ever since that we should codify Roe v. Wade. Now, things like that at this point, and the Republicans have been doing this already. They've already passed bills in the House that it's just virtue signaling. They know it'll never get through the Senate. And if it ever managed to squeak through uh, somehow, because you've got some dark horses over there, you've got cinema. Uh, you've got Mansion, you know. Maybe you could squeak, squeak something through. Biden would never sign it, and you don't have the the votes to override a veto. Um, so even if the Senate passed a bill to legalize abortion nation nationwide, it wouldn't pass the House. It's not going anywhere for the next two years. It's just not going to happen. And then, even if you did, it would face immediate constitutional challenges, and it would end up eventually after many, many years, right back at the Supreme Court. Court. It's also very, very, very disingenuous in a constitutional republic wherein it's obvious post-Dobbs decision that there are citizens in this country and many of our states who do not want abortion to be legal where they live or they want it to be legal only for very small and well-defined scenarios and to say that at the federal level you're going to take that decision away from those states and make it a a nationwide decision is just it's um it's anti-democratic it's anti-small r republic um i believe it to be unconstitutional i think abortion violates the right to life to begin with um and I know there's some semantic arguments there, um, but I, I don't understand why they're so mad about letting the states choose for themselves. There are there are states that have said, no, this is going to remain legal and a viable option here. Um, and if that's what the people there want, um, then they get to make that decision. And if you're in a state where that's not what your people want, then you get to make that decision. Um, it's not. Uh, you know, it, it's not an issue of, I, again, I still think it's unconstitutional for those states to allow it because, again, um, I think it violates the right to life. Um, but it's just not allowing abortion isn't taking anyone's right away, no matter how you look at it. Like, it's I, not my not my body, my choice, because it's not your body. It's, it's separate and distinct human DNA. That's right. my take. I'm I'm very curious to see what Generation Z does with this because, you know, I, I always think of the show Family Ties with Michael J. Fox, how his parents were the squares, right? And he was pro Ronald Reagan, right? Because that was the thing. If you wanted to be a rebel, you're with, with, you're with Reagan, at least that time of the 80s, the way they, they put it in the show. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just curious to see what this generation does the new generation does with all this information, like, will it become, will they swing back to more conservative principles out of rebellion? And then will it swing back? It'd be very interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I I have hope for our students. I really do. 
I yeah. Mean, of course, that's and a youth pastor in me saying that, but. Well, but I, I think you do see, uh, you know, polling and, and, and anecdotal evidence even where Gen Z has shifted more conservative, mm-hmm. uh, on, more liberal on some issues, but more conservative on others. So, yeah, it's interesting to see how that's going to gonna shake out. I think if enough people buy Tuttle Twins books, uh, yes. which you can do using the affiliate link at solid7podcast.com, um, then I, I think there's, there, there's hope. So, uh, I don't know. It, it was, I, again, you know, there was, there was mention of the fentanyl crisis and stuff like that, but barely, barely any mention. Right. Well, but then no, no plan for actually securing our border and actually taking the fight to the cartels that are bringing this poison into our country. And it's not even just, it's not like this is just druggies who, you know, maybe you're somebody who's like, Oh, that's, that's what they get. If you weren't, you know, if you weren't doing illicit drugs, you wouldn't be exposed to that fentanyl. I mean, this story after story of accidental deaths, like you can yeah. be exposed just on your skin to this stuff. Accidentally, a kid picks up a, you know, a dropped tablet on a playground. Um, you know, and, and they can die. It's, it's crazy. It's bad stuff. And it's, it's deadly toxic in such tiny, tiny amounts. Um, and you know, it's just one more thing we have our friends to the East to thank for, because all this crap's coming out of China. All that fentanyl's coming out of China. Oh yeah. I mean, they probably dropped it by balloon or something at this point. So, you know, I, I do have to, we're not journalists. This, this isn't a new, this isn't a news program. I don't think I'm bound to, uh, to, to post or broadcast retractions or corrections, but I like to keep things intellectually honest here. Uh, and on, on the last episode, uh, I was razzing the, the president and our government pretty hard, um, for not having shot down the Chinese spy balloon. Um, and lo and behold, they, they did, they, they shot it down right after it had crossed over the entire freaking country. (laughs) They went ahead and just showed some real gumption and shot it down. Um, what's funny is, uh, as I understand the scenario, we were aware of this thing before it crossed into U.S. airspace, at least mainland U.S. airspace. Yeah, I, I he, think we were, picked it up in the Aleutian Islands. Right. Um, so there was every opportunity. If you're saying, oh, this thing just has to be taken down over, over water, it's not safe to take it down over land, um, which shows a thorough lack of understanding of the population density of the U.S. or the American West um, once you get past the coast. Uh, but setting that aside, there was plenty of time to shoot it down over water before it crossed into U.S. airspace. Uh, but instead, we let it come. We let it hang out over the le- west. We let it hang out around military installations. We let it hang out over uh, nuclear missile silos. Uh, we just let it, we let it cross the whole country. And we, we shot it down once it was out past uh, North Carolina. Um, and so what, what's funny is, like, we didn't have the intestinal fortitude we didn't have the stones as benjamin franklin would have said to take this thing out before it was here and to dikembe matombo style say not in my house um 
China, on the other hand, and listen, I got to respect this. China has demanded the thing back. <laughs> That's, wow. That's next level. Like, not even an apology. Be like, hey, my bad. No, but give it, give it. That's our balloon. Give it, give it back. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that's not yours. That was, it was private. It, it was still, it was just a, it was a private, uh, it was a weather balloon. It was just blown off course. Um, you overreacted in shooting it down, but now that you have, you need to return it. That's, that's ours. That's yeah. not yours. And and that's cute how they said like oh it was an accident and blew over like they were like you could still drive it they were driving it <laughs> over specific places so it's not like they're like oh man my bad no yeah but at the same but, time but but there's a part of me that has to respect like clearly these people don't fear us no. <laughs> like they. They don't care. And I, I'm kind of not mad at it. Like, I'd kind of like to see a little bit of that myself. Well, I got to thinking about this a lot. And I'm like, well, what if we've done this? What if, what if it was our balloon? And I realized, oh, wait, we have done this. Like, yeah. with a U-2 spy plane, SR-71. And by the way, they try to shoot those planes down. So it's not like it's a new thing going like, oh, it's it's over airspace. That's, you know, like we would never shoot down your balloons. Like, no, you've tried. You try to shoot down our planes. So yeah. let's not go that route. I mean, we did it with U2s. We do it with our satellites. I mean, you know, I, I'd still uh, someday I'd like to know for sure, for sure how Russia took down Gary Powers U2. Um, I wrote a report on that back when I was in middle school because um, I actually had a family friend who grew up on the base and watched that U2 take off uh, new Gary Powers from around the base. Pretty pretty interesting, yeah. What, you um, think it was a lucky shot or something? You know, we're still flying U2s for stuff. Yeah. It's just a unique, impressive uh, aircraft. Well, the deal was that it, was, it's, it wasn't like the SR-71 that could just outrun everything. Plenty of missiles were fired at the SR-71. Nothing could keep up with it. The deal with the U-2 was it was just flying. It was fly, operating out of reach. You're basically yeah. flying it in a, in a pressurized spacesuit. Um, and so I, I think the, the operating theory was that um, so surface to air, nothing was supposed to be able to reach it. So the theory was that it was a, a missile fired from from an airborne craft. Um, but there just shouldn't have been anything that could have operated in that way at that altitude. I don't know if it was a, just a luck, you know, a, a puncher's chance. That was actually something that, that was kind of cool about taking this balloon down. Um, was, you know, it was, it was up around somewhere between 60 and 90,000 feet. I think at the point that it was taken down, it was, it was around um, 60,000 feet. And so it's an F-22 that took it down. It's pretty common knowledge at this point. Uh, but the, the missile that it fired at it, um, like it, they don't even test those at those altitudes. So it actually fired from 2,000 feet below, like lower in altitude, and took it out with that missile. So it was kind of cool that this thing performed beyond spec yeah. to take this out. It's also... Super hilarious that the F-22's first confirmed air-to-air -air kill 
was this stupid balloon. Like they basically took down the dude from up. Um, and if, if the other pilots in that dude's squadron don't stick like a little balloon kill sticker on the side of that pilot's F-22, I'm disappointed in my country. Oh yeah. And, and they need to, they need to play that song 99 red balloons. Like every time he enters, like instead (laughs) of the need for speed, like the, 99 yeah. Yeah. yeah so you know there's there's still there's silver lining to to this cloud but uh, i'm gonna actually push back a little bit though because I, I i was thinking so if i were king for sorry not king for a day if i were president for a day or a week however long this thing was up there would i have shot it down and i think there might be a case where I would have actually let it go and shot it after it crossed the U.S. Do tell. Okay. The only way I can see that happening, right, is if we know everything about that stupid balloon. Like, we have blueprints. We have the science. I mean, we have a lot of spies in places. We have... If the intelligence is as good as they say they are... Maybe we knew everything about that balloon, and we knew that we could jam that balloon. Then I would be like, okay, so we know that balloon is there. Let's learn everything about that stupid balloon. Let's test it. Let's see if we can jam it. Let's bring another balloon up there. Can we, can we, can our, can we get a balloon to take out another balloon? And then maybe do it that way. Even if, how about this? Even if like we we somehow ha- had a bug in the Chinese government somewhere, and we were able to track that transmission from that balloon, we could confirm if we have if that wiretap is working if that balloon is up there, and then shoot it down. Now the problem with this theory is that we're giving an enormous amount of credit. To our government and intelligence agencies, okay. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were jamming stuff. Maybe they were testing stuff. I don't know. I had I had a thought along these lines, and that evidently what's and I don't understand enough about like radar and such things to comment on this truly intelligently. But one of the threads I kind of picked up on the storyline with this thing um, is that part of what's tricky about these balloons is while they're gigantic, this thing was evidently like 200 feet tall. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about the amount of helium it would take to float this apparatus that was under it. That's the part they're describing as being like the length of three school buses. That thing was massive. I mean, you see the pictures from it at altitude. It looked like the space station transiting the moon. I mean, it it was gigantic. So you can imagine the size that this balloon had to be. Um, And so, but so you would think that this thing would would pop on rate. Like you would think you there's no stealth to this thing, but evidently radar struggles with slower moving objects, and that's how you can kind evidently my understanding. I'm open to correction. Uh, and uh, maybe next time we have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Staley on, uh, oh, I'll confirm. Good idea. 
Um, but so that that's part of you're like, oh, how why would you even bother with this? Like, how could you even be sneaky with this? Evidently, you can. You can be sneaky with this. So I had the thought along the lines of like if you've ever watched uh the movie The Imitation Game with uh Benedict Cumberbatch, and it's about cracking the Enigma code machines, the German Enigma code machines in World War II. Um and so I don't know how much of this is true to real life, how much of this was dramatization in the movie, but when they finally managed to crack the Enigma machine, one of the first things they realized was that there was about to be a U-boat attack on a, on a British ship. Yep. And actually one of the code breakers had a relative on the ship, but they realized they couldn't stop the attack. Yep. because it would be a giveaway that they had that you had to be more strategic than that and how you use the information that you lead so as not to let on to the fact that you had cracked their their ciphers right. that you had cracked right. codes so i had that little bit of a thought in my head of maybe we just hoped no americans would notice and maybe we were maybe we have the wherewithal to pre- actually prevent all surveillance by this thing um, and so we were more comfortable just letting it float on by and not be able to gather any sensitive information and not let the Chinese on to the fact that maybe we can pick these things up immediately. The second you launch it, we know where it's at, where it's going, what it's doing. Um, but I'm, I'm just like, you know, and they even said this in, in various, uh, places of like, Oh, you know, it wasn't able to gather anything. We basically we mitigated the data collection, whatever. If it's got cameras on it, what what are you what are you mitigating? Like, so you might be able to block some signals intelligence. You might be able to, in some way, um, restrict what it can access electronically. But you're not blocking the camera lenses. You're not walking out over the military silos and holding up a sheet. Uh, you know all this stuff. So I, I think in the grand scheme, no, I, I would rather send the message to China of no, not in my house. Yeah. Then the sneaky, we know, we know what you're up to. I, I, I would just, I would like, they just, they need to know we're still America and we're not messing around. Right. And right. I think should have shot that thing down before it crossed into mainland us airspace the secretary of state still should have gone and met with the Chinese president and he should have delivered him a jacket made out of the fabric from the balloon. <laughs> no, that would have been amazing. That's exactly what yeah. we're supposed to do. Like mafia, mafia tactics. Like that, that's the equivalent of them going, Hey, you need to give that back. Mm-hmm. They're serious. Yeah. They mean it. What was really funny, too, is that there was some new... I was watching the news during this. A couple of different places were just like, oh, we can't shoot it down because we don't know if there's a bomb on that or if there's some sort of biochemical well, uh, weapon on board. And the whole time, like, those are reasons to not shoot it down. Those are reasons to shoot the darn thing down. What are you talking about? Like, that can't be a reason... That can't actually stop you from destroying this 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 flying object it's just wild to me yeah so but i wanted to issue the correction uh, i gave i gave everybody a hard time for not shooting it down and we we shot it shot it down 
after. Uh, I, I'm intellectually honest enough to say, like, it's entirely plausible that there are legitimate factors at play in this that we're not into, like, we're not in, intuiting ourselves. That, that it's just not dawning on us, and we're not privy to it. Yeah, so maybe, maybe there's mitigating factors that made this the right the right way to handle this. Again, if those were the concerns, Chris, if I, if I grant, if I seed the point, uh, it could have been a, uh, could have been a bomb. It could have been contaminants. It could have been whatever. Maybe it launched from Wuhan, haha, <laughs> whatever. Um, shoot it down over the other ocean before it gets here. Oh, not, the, not on the other side. Once it's gone over. So that one doesn't hold a lot of water to me. Uh, plenty of helium, not a lot of water. Um, so I, I, I just, it just looked so weak and, and shooting it down when we did, where we did just felt like some cheap effort to save face. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't help but wonder again. So we had the SR 71, we had the U2, we, we, we did use balloons in Afghanistan. I know that we did have reconnaissance stuff. By the way, bring those to the border. But anyways, I'm not the president or anybody. Yeah. But like, I, I do wonder if like we have our own version of Fang Fang, like in China right now. And do we have like, do we have balloons that we don't we don't know about that are floating across? Because they're doing it to us. I'm sure we're doing it to somebody else. I imagine that you know we've got our our own attempts uh, at espionage going on, one way or the other in China. One one thing they have as an advantage there is they they are so culturally and ethnically homogenous, right? Like it's not like you're going to join the CIA and train at the farm and go infiltrate the Chinese government. You're not going to do that. Um, you know, there are others who can, but we've got to be a little bit more choosy, uh, with our, uh, espionage than they have to infiltrating our, uh, multicultural melting pot over here. Are you saying that a white man can't be a CIA spy operative in China? How dare you, sir? That is, that is racist. Well, listen, I do think it's hilarious that you continue to identify as white. Um, so I don't, I, I, don't. I appreciate uh, but uh, I don't know if you're after some privilege. I don't know if you're ashamed wow. of your cultural heritage. Wow. I don't this took a turn. Talk. Um, but yeah, I'm saying it's a it's a bigger challenge uh going the other direction. Yeah, for certainly. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, we really need to stop, stop losing to China. So, though, I, you know, I talked, I talked on the episode uh, with Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel Staley. Though, I mean, there are some takes out there um, that China isn't all it's cracked up to be, isn't all it seemed to be, and is uh, headed for uh, some big downturns in a real big way in the not too distant future. Um, and it's funny, it's always bittersweet, like for the people, like for the everyday people at China, in China, who are just like trying to take care of their family and, and live a life, you know, 
I, I wish nothing bad for those people. Um, the, the, like you want safety and economic prosperity and stuff for them. Like you don't want to be in a position of like hoping for some massive depression in China, but the reality for China to continue on the path that it is with the leadership that it is, is just dangerous to the rest of the world and really not great for their people. The way, the way they're, the semblance of lives they have right now, um, it's not, they're not, they're not free. No. Like it's just no way to live. And I, I mean, if, but if you've, if you've got, if you got a, a, a caged bird in your house that was born in a cage and has lived in, in a cage and never gone outside and flown around, does, does it begrudge? Does it even understand? Does it begrudge <sighs> the, the birds outside flying around? I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do know that China is in a lot worse position we are as far as the next generation because of their whole one one child nation type thing. They they barely like they're 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 basically dying as a country. And there's that's one of the the, the biggest problems yeah. uh, that they have is there's there's a, a real population bomb b o m b not boom right. uh, coming there and it's it's worse than they're letting on uh, the numbers that they put out aren't shockingly shockingly aren't the reality of their oh. population numbers and their demographics um, and that's that's really the crux of their issues there's a, there's other challenges there to keep things going and, and propped up and i think that's i don't know that they're totally naive to that on the horizon and i think that's why they've been acting more and more aggressive perhaps uh, but i mean you know smarter than people than me or or i think i hope we hope working on working on these things so we'll see just keep your eye on China, keep your eye on Russia, because I don't know. I feel like we underestimated Russia a lot during this Ukraine crisis, and I don't want that to be the same with China. Like, we just we just like kind of just cast them out as like, oh, no, we can take them on. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think they were going to take Ukraine in a couple of days. Uh, like Desert Storm One style, and I think they, I think Russia is the one that's been surprised. Ah, uh, yeah, but man, if you just if you look at all of all of the, especially if you study up on the czars, okay, of Russia, and every single war they're, that they're in, they always start out the same exact way, just absolutely awful just incompetent and then they come back and they throw the juggernaut of the Russian culture because like they have a huge advantage people wise and even resource wise so uh, I don't know I don't know we'll see plus your bets yeah well I you know the I just hope none of it trickles it'd be nice to see it end period uh, the real problem is if this trickles over into, say, like Poland, we got a real freaking problem. Yeah. So. Yeah. And on that note, it seems like Kevin Costner may be out at Yellowstone. 
Okay. <laughs> I just can't, can't do any more geopolitics. I can't do it. And uh, we have entertainment lately. And this is this is big news. This is this is like the biggest show in entertainment. You can't say in television anymore. This is the biggest show in entertainment. Yeah. Is it good? It's now again. It is not safe for the little ears. Um, it, uh, you know, it's, it depends on your sensibilities, but I would say, yes, yes, it's quite good. And so here's the thing, right? It's fantastic. It's in, I think it's the fifth season that's live right now, fifth or fourth. They're in like a, they do like a mid season break. So they're on hiatus right now. So they released half a season. And then, so I don't know if this is four or five. Um, but there's already been some spinoffs and they were pretty successful. So there's been two prequel series so far. Uh, one was set in 1883. That's the one that had Tim McGraw and Faith Hill in it. Uh, Tim did a great job. Faith was passable. Um, and then the current prequel that's, that's out. I don't know if all of it's released. Uh, but is 1923 or 32? I can't remember because at one point it was one and then they switched it before they actually released it. But it's starring Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren and it's fantastic seeing Harrison Ford in a role like that's awesome. Um, And those have both done really well. And they're all written by this guy, Taylor Sheridan. Um, Seems to be a great, great writer. I don't know if he's showrunner on any of them, but the writer. And then he's also had some other great hit shows come out. Um, the show that's out now with Sylvester Stallone and then uh, Mayors of Kingstown, which was the uh, Renner show. And all of them have done it well. And so the deal is, as, as I understand it, you know, uh, Kevin Costner and I, we haven't talked recently. Okay, we, we haven't, recently, we haven't, yeah. I need uh, to retype back then. Uh, but. but, you know, he's no spring chicken. And uh, his wife, evidently, and Everyone, please understand how much I hate discussing things like this. Like we know anything about his marriage or particularly care. Again, I wish the best for the guy. But as it's reported, to the extent that it impacts the show that people like to watch, um, his wife just hadn't been crazy with how much time filming Yellowstone and effort had been taking up. Um, and so as they've gone farther and farther in filming, he's had like tighter and tighter requirements of, I only want to film this much. I only want to film for this long. And so the reporting now is that like, that's become so reduced, um, that just, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just move on. And so there's talks of, I don't think so much like recasting. I don't think you can get rid of that, but the person they're attaching to this is Matthew McConaughey. And it would be some additional spinoff of the show. And some of the characters from the main show would transition to that one. And I just, I don't know. It smacks as a little cynical to me in that there's great actors in this show. Great actors. And there's great characters and there's compelling characters. But like Kevin Costner is the freaking man. Like has killed this. And I don't know if he had been involved in the project if it would be the success that it is with the spinoffs that it's had. And, uh, it just seems to me that they're like, um, you know, thinking the show is bigger than him. And I don't know that it is. And I almost, I don't know. My gut reaction is I kind of hope it's not like for them to just so flippantly be like, okay, whatever. We'll just, 
we'll do other things without you. I don't know. It just, uh, it hits me wrong. Yeah. So just, just to be clear, I have watched exactly zero episodes of Yellowstone, but every episode of Bluey. Okay. That's kind of just in a dad, little kid stage. Uh, when when you put this on the show notes, I'm just like, oh, I hope it's not like a Kevin Spacey situation where, like, <laughs> you know, no, where no. he's like diddling with somebody else, or whatever. But no. but it sounds like okay, and this is how I can bring it back to my to what I know. It sounds like they're trying to write out Rick from The Walking Dead and expecting it to continue after him. Yeah, yeah, it would be something like that walking dead before it had had peaked and yes. started going because yes. this is in this is in its prime you know and so imagine imagine if the people at bluey imagine if the guy who voices bandit was like guys i love this i love doing it but i've got other commitments um we got to find a, we got to find a way to do this in in, in less time we, we got to find a way to do that you know we got to make it work where i cannot be in the recording booth quite as much, you know, change up the scheduling where maybe it's the same amount of time, but less days, you know, whatever, we got to do something. And they're just like, you know what? We're just going to do a bluey spinoff and this is done now. Well, you know what? We'll just, we'll just start the series where uh, bluey and bingo are grown and chili appears occasionally as the grandma. And sadly bandit is no longer with us. And good luck to you, buddy. That's what we're talking about, Chris. Okay, thank you for putting it into into the context that I can understand. Okay, because that All would be this- that'd be rough. So Chili Chili wants to stick around and be part of this, but then Bandit doesn't. So does Bandit. He's just looking for some different scheduling. Hmm. He's not saying. He's not saying I want out. He's not saying. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, again, conversations like this and reporting on things like this are ridiculous. The characters on Yellowstone aren't real. The Yellowstone Dutton Ranch isn't real. We know nothing about what's going on in the background. Kevin Costner could be a freaking nightmare to work with on this set. It could have nothing to do with his wife and all him. Uh, Lord knows plenty of wives have been blamed for the husband's drama. Um, but to the extent that it's a popular show, people really like it. It's really good. And this is what's coming out. I just, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy about it. But at the same time, it's called Bluey, not Bandit. So, well, well, the difference here is like Costner is the patriarch of this family that's been on this ranch land since nine, well, 1883. Like he, he owns the ranch. He is the patriarch. It all comes back to him. Ah. Wife's gone. Yeah. Like he is the, it's an ensemble cast, but in the sense that the office, he's Steve Carell. Sure. It's an ensemble cast. But he's he's Michael Scott only. Oh, he's competent. And there's no chili. There's no chili. So how no. could you possibly not have bandit without chili? You could probably yeah. argue you could probably not have chili. Well, a lot of the drama, okay, so a lot of the conflict in the show, Chris, is around I mean, we're talking a massive ranch. They haven't pegged the exact size, 
but they've placed it between other ranches. So hundreds of thousands of acres gotcha. in Montana in Montana. Right. So the whole, like all of the clan conflict comes from, there's all kinds of people scheming that want this land developers and stuff like that. And people wanting to build around it and build through it and all this different stuff. And so Costner's this guy that's just trying to keep the ranch together, <coughs> trying to protect the family legacy, trying to have something to hand down to his kids, <coughs> his kids, which, don't want the ranch, but they love their dad and they're trying to honor his wishes and fight for what he, he wants and stuff. Right. Okay. Um, so there would be a path to just, um, you know, he, he, he has a heart attack. He has uh mysterious, uh, like whole body blood cots that kill him. Um, mm. maybe, maybe he had trampled by, uh, by a bison. They, they roam Yellowstone, right? Yeah, like you, you could kill him off and then deal with the conflict of the kids fighting with the ranch and whether or not the ranch gets sold or parted out or whatever. You could, you could do it. Um, I just don't think the show is as good without his character and without him playing the character. What if he's just trying to shake out, shake him down for more money? You think Costner needs more? I, d- I don't. I, that I don't doesn't. Know. Listen, the dude built the field of dreams, okay? I don't think he's shaking them down for more money. I I don't think he can. That's there's no claim of that out there. It's not more it's just we need to do, this needs to be a smaller time commitment for me. Gotcha. Seems to be that. Okay. Well, then Harrison Ford can help that. <laughs> no, he's in a different he's in like a a spin-off series. He's not in this series. He's in a prequel series. Oh, so he's like the dead grandfather of Bandit? Pretty much. Yeah. Oh. Uh, we've we're really stretching this uh comparison to its limits here. But yeah. I mean Harrison Ford is old though. How could he possibly anyways? Dude, Harrison Ford is freaking killing it right now. He's in this Yellowstone series. He's in um the new series on Apple TV Plus, Shrinking. Yes. Uh, which is the the same showrunner and creator as Scrubs and as um, Spin City and more recently Ted Lasso and I haven't had oh. opportunity to watch that but all the reviews for the show are fantastic. Uh, he's just all of a sudden like dude's eighty years old. There's another Indiana Jones movie coming out. I mean he's just free. He's prolific right now, man. Killing the game. He really is. But man, yeah. I just hope they bring back Short Round. That's all I want. Well, he he just won some uh, Golden Globe or something. Yeah, like, he, he was exists. Just, yeah. He's still in the business. So bring back Short Round for this last Indiana Jones movie. And let the, that character die. Because I feel like, uh, I don't know. I, I love Harrison. What are we going to do with uh, Crystal Skull? Are, are they just going to retcon it? Are they just going to pretend it never happened? Where's Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. They were trying to set him up as heir apparent, right? This is the this is the next indie, and uh, ain't happening. Ugh. that's kind of. I, I still maintain, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but if I haven't, I'll say it now. Um, if we're going to reboot and or just continue on Indiana Jones in some way, it needs to be Chris Pratt. A hundred percent. That was exactly what I was about to say. Chris Pratt, dude. Indiana Jones. 
Uh, dude, I'll buy the ticket to that movie right now. Mm-hmm. Right now. The, so, the but... Only, go ahead. The only person, the other, other option that could possibly revive that character is Bandit from Bluey. Yeah, it, it all ties back to, uh, to Bluey. He's an archaeologist. Uh, Bandit is an archaeologist. True. Uh, now, in other Chris Pratt news that we're prone to talking about here on the Solid 7 podcast, we were waiting for official word on what was going to become of the Terminal List series. Were they going to fall off and do a movie? Were they going to do more Terminal List? What was going to happen? Not only have they come out and announced that there will be another season of the Terminal List, but there... Have you watched, Chris? It is one of my favorite shows. I've watched okay. all of the way through. So Taylor Kitsch, who played Ben okay. in the Terminalist series. Taylor Kitsch also played uh, Navy SEAL and Medal of Honor winner Mike Murphy from Operation Red Wings from Lone Survivor. So he in the movie Lone Survivor, he played uh, Michael Murphy. Taylor Kitsch will be reply, reply, bleh, reprising his role as Ben in a Terminalist prequel. This will be a show that does not correspond to a Jack Carr book. This will be purely new material for this show. So not only are we getting the next season of The Terminal List, but we're getting a prequel focused on Ben, still played by Taylor Kitsch. That's cool. It's freaking amazing. I'm so Uh. excited. Let's hurry up and get into production, boys. And we can't really talk about it because we would reveal... Because in order for us to talk about this now, that would basically ruin everything that people... Normally, normally I don't give a crap about spoiler alerts on this podcast. And Terminal List has been out for a minute. But here's the thing. Uh, I'm a big Jack Carr fan. I'm a big Terminal List fan. I've said it many times. I will continue to say it. Jack, I would love to have you on the podcast. And so it's still new enough. And I respect the art so much. I love the show so much. I would hate to ruin the show for anyone. So we're we're not. And I say that maybe we've thrown out some spoilers on previous episodes. I don't remember. I don't think so. I, but I will say this. um, If you watch the first series, it will leave you not only wanting more of James Reese, the main character, but you will want more of Taylor Kitsch's character, Ben. And we're going to get it. And I'm excited about it. Is James Reese back to like in some way? Like is Chris Pratt? Well, he's probably an executive producer, but is he even like, I don't know. I think he's producing both shows. And I think Taylor Kitsch is the producer on, uh, whatever his show is going to be. Um, I don't know how much of, I think Ben's going to be the central character of the Kitsch show. Uh, obviously there's a history between Ben and Reese prior to where we see them in the terminal list. So I don't know how much of that will be portrayed in the show. So I don't know how much Pratt will be in that one. I would think there would be some appearances and some crossover, Uh, but I'm just stoked in that. Not only we're getting that additional content, but that it's new, that it's not going to be some representation of this Jack Carr book. I've already read. It's, it's new content from this universe just for that show. I'm stoked. Maybe Ben will be the CIA operative assigned to China to infiltrate that. 
And the season finale, the season finale is him blowing up a balloon. Wow. Wow. And to be clear, not exploding a balloon, just sitting on a bench in China, physically blowing air into a balloon, yeah. blowing up a balloon. While watching Bluey. <laughs> it all, all circles back around. Oh, yes. So uh, that's, that's uh, in the entertainment world, that's about as good a news as I could hope for these days. I'm excited too. I, that I also believe that, uh, I don't know if I've talked to you about it or if you've watched, but the SEAL Team show that I've been raving about uh, stars uh, Jason Borneas and uh, a few other uh, great actors. I think that got re- renewed as well. And uh, I've been such a fan of that show. It's just good action television. I'm not going to say there's no soap opera-y aspects to it, uh, but I'm okay with it. It's not... It's not preachy. It's not woke. It's just good television. So glad to see that one get picked up again too. Do I watch shows that don't have anything to do with Navy SEALs? I was about to say, yes, I do because Yellowstone, but actually one of the Dutton sons uh, on the show was a Navy with a Navy SEAL. So maybe that's the key. Maybe there's no Navy SEALs in Bluey and we all know I like Bluey. It connects right back around. But he is an archaeologist. Yes. Indiana Jones was an archaeologist, played by Harrison Ford. So therefore, Bluey is a spin... No, Yellowstone is a spinoff from Bluey. No, because you still don't understand the Yellowstone universe. I'm not Not going to hold it against you. Now, this does potentially mean that Bandit could at some point play like a cartoon like Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan S character, because Harrison Ford has, of course, it would be funny if, if Bluey did some kind of one-off episode uh, or a few of them, uh, like community used to do with the themed episode where bandit is just appearing as these Harrison Ford characters. But again, the tie to Harrison Ford is very loose and that Indiana Jones was kind of an archeologist and bandit seems to be an actual, archaeologist yeah but he goes away six weeks at a time to trips a lot a lot can happen in six weeks yeah yeah i suppose i mean you could have your heart removed in some pagan ritual that's true boy was that movie dark (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh some strong imagery i think i try yeah we we try i tried watching it with Kristen. she didn't really make it past the bugs part and then, of course, the Bugs part goes straight into satanic pagan rituals. And I'm like, okay, we're going to fast forward all of this. And then I realize, wow, I just fast forward a lot of the movie. Now, I want to be clear for the listeners. Um, maybe if you had tuned down a little bit and then you just heard like satanic pagan ritual that we're talking about an Indiana Jones movie and not the recent Grammys award show. No, no, but I, I could understand how people would get that confused. I mean, dude. <laughs> so blatant, man. So blatant. I, I just, it, it's, I don't even, I don't even know. I'm, I host a podcast and I'm, I'm speechless. And that's so a I, lot. Just like, oh, so, so like you're just, you're just out, you're just out there with it now. 
Like it's yeah. Just no no more pretense. Just here, here you go. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, you know, hopefully there's no, you know, water buffalo nearby. Cause he would be fearing for his life at this point. Animal sacrifice. Yeah, no, I, I got you. I, okay. I mean, the listeners may have needed the clarification, but I I was picking up what you were putting down. That's I just I, I really like do we care about these award shows anymore at all anyways? No. The last good one was only good because of Ricky Gervais. Oh my gosh. Oh well, yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see Ricky Gervais. I'd like to see him host the Grammys. I'd like to see him do the same thing to the music industry. That'd be great. When he made the Harvey Weinstein joke and it like fell flat and he's like, don't get mad at me. You did it. Not me. I'm like, dang. Yeah. And it's bad when, I mean, it's bad when, (laughs) when someone and how can I say this? He's an atheist. Is an atheist is calling you out on your moral standards and moral conduct. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. So that's that's the deal. I think I'm gonna make for right now is I will only watch entertainment industry award ceremonies that are hosted by Ricky Gervais. Entertainment industry. That's the deal that I will make with you. Music, television, movie, doesn't matter, whatever it is, if Ricky's not hosting, I'm not watching. Now, I will, there's an asterisk on there. Okay. Uh, you want to you wanna sub in Dave Chappelle? I'll watch. You want to uh, sub in Joe Rogan? Oh. I'll, I'll watch. Bill Burr? I'll watch. Basically, pick a current, irreverent, uncancelable comedian. And I'm in, but otherwise, uh, you want to, you want to put some more, uh, uh, spackle on, uh, Billy, what's his name's face and trot him back out to what to, uh, sing show tunes, Billy Crystal. I'm not doing it. I'm not in. That's a shame. Billy was so good. He was fantastic at one time. And then they tried to, uh, you know, make Neil Patrick Harris, the new him. Now MPH is funny. He is, but still. He's, he's an industry guy. No, unless you're going to bring in an outsider who will roast you, I'm not watching. Yeah, he's still, he's still Doogie. Wait, what, what's it? Doogie Hauser? Doogie, Doogie Hauser. Yeah, he's, I, I can't see him. Other, I can't see any other character except that character. Yeah. It's hard. For I, never, I never watched or got into How I Met Your Mother, so I don't have... Like I'm familiar with the Barney Stinson, Stinson, yeah. you know, very catch line, catchphrase. Everybody is, uh, but I never really, no other role really stuck with him for me. But well, there's now a How I Met Your Father, starring Lizzie McGuire. Oh, I, well, good. I have no desire to watch that. I guess there's also a that '90s show now that yes. has the. On Netflix, yeah, they're trying. So yeah, they rebooted that '70s show, but into that '90s show, which is kind of funny that they ignored the that '80s show because there was a that '80s show spinoff, but that lasted like ten episodes. 
Well, dude, I, I think we've uh, successfully dragged this down into the trivial and mundane from just way, way too much uh, geopolitical serious talk here recently. Yeah. And I'm, I would be remiss in letting you go before we talk some motorsports. Um, I, uh, NASCAR is going to be firing up here again soon. They had their little race at the LA Coliseum, which whatever it's too short track. Like it's too short track. Yeah. I, I, no space. I get, yeah, I get that it was fun to watch in cars. Um, uh, but this is the real world. Now I'm happy. Anytime I get to watch Martin Truex jr. Win a race. Um, because he's like that last vestige, that last connection to Dale Earnhardt and the EI and, yeah. and that whole crew. Uh, so I'm okay with that, but I, it's just not, I don't know. It's too short track. I don't think the drivers particularly enjoyed it no. either. No, I still, I still don't like this new style of car. I don't like the body style. I don't like the change in number placement. Um, I don't like the digital dashboards. This is just a straight grumpy old man moment. Um, they add, they're adding new penalties this season for getting into physical altercations with other drivers. I'm sorry. This isn't Indy racing. This is NASCAR. I'm sorry. We have men driving our cars. Let them fight. Um, yeah, not only let them fight, there should be no penalty. Whatever damage is done is the damage that's done. Um, I don't think that, uh, sequential gearboxes have any business being in the on the same continent as a stock car. Um, it's, it's heresy. It's an abomination. Such a funny duddy. They're and mufflers. They're going to put mufflers on Chris. What in the world? Like it's getting to the point. If you want to watch a, if you want to watch a stock car race, you're going to have to go to your local short track because there are no stock cars in NASCAR anymore. No, and there hasn't really been a stock car in NASCAR since like the mid seventies. And we've we've had, we've had that conversation before, and we've had yeah. I've made the comment I'm about to make again. Freaking Netflix did their stupid F1 series. F1's blown up in popularity, and NASCAR's got such a freaking inferiority complex towards the FIA at this point that it's seeping out of their ears, and it's driving me nuts. I mean, they, just, it just kills you that there's only one lug nut on a wheel. It does kill me. That's re- it serves no. It, it did nothing to improve the sport. It did nothing to improve the competition. It dumbed it down. It dumbed the competition down. It, it is. It is less difficult. It requires less skill to be a tire man on a pit crew now than it did when there were five lug nuts, like there should be. I mean, it's still pretty physical. I mean, yes, I know that you want the five lug nuts, but again, I, I don't. I don't really see the advantage or disadvantage of. It's just it a. It's just a slippery slope to taking away gas cans and building in the jacks. It's. It's just. It's just goofy. Yeah. It's just dumb. They need, like, you want to be popular? Like, you're not going to out F1, F1. You're not going to do it. Lean into what you are harder. Encourage the contact. Harden the cars up. Encourage the contact. Let Dude, treat it like hockey, man. Oh, yeah. Let them fight. Let them fight in the pits. Just add some rules. I agree with that. 
That would make it more like it was in the quote-unquote good old days, like peak 80s maybe, like early 90s and stuff when you had Dale Earnhardt Jr. where you had Kill Yarborough, your your namesake. Although, wait, no, he started off in the 70s era. Either way, those kind of guys. But the Digital Dash, I don't care. I, I like the Digital Dash. I, I There's... Well, how about this? How do you feel about the Chicago race, the Chicago street course they just announced? <laughs> um, I'm going to reference back to my previous statement uh, about their F1 complex. We don't do street courses. For that matter, I've never liked the road course races, but we don't do street courses. Dale Earnhardt did great in the road courses. He even did an I, exhibition race in Japan. It was fantastic. I didn't say that he didn't. Dale Earnhardt is the greatest race car in any series or any type of car in the history of this planet. He did just fine, um, as he would in any scenario. It's just not... Uh, we have that elsewhere. Be what yeah. you are. Go fast, turn left. I would argue, too, that they would need... A, I would like to see a dirt course. Like I, I would like a legitimate... like. Go at least not every race, but like three or four times. Return well, to they a did. dirt track. Didn't they do it last season? I think it was an exhibition race. It wasn't a point season. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't hate that as much because that's like a back to your roots thing. Yeah. Um, it is such a totally different type of driving that if you've never driven on dirt, I'm like, I don't know. I think it's it might be too far outside the realm of the norm. Uh, maybe. Uh, but no, you have a good point. Like, go to Olds. Right to go left thing? That's not made up for the movie Cars. That's real. Yeah, and you would only really get that a lot if you did return to dirt. Although, I guess you could, yeah, I take that back. Yeah, you can, you can I, get that with asphalt. It's it's hard to understand if you haven't done it, but when you're racing on dirt, when you're turning on dirt like that, you steer with your throttle. Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest issue NASCAR has is the the car is is a blob. So, uh, it's un- it's there's no connection between the car and what you can buy, right? Yeah. Win yeah, on there's... Sunday, sell on Monday. That was the that old lot. school way of doing it. Right now, the only people who are still doing it like that are the British touring cars. And yeah, in Europe, there's no there's no relationship to even the engine build. Nope. No, nothing, nothing. Um, you're not ripping the guts out, welding the door shut, and putting in a roll cage. No. Uh, and I, I don't want a complete return to that, but I, I would love more distinct differences in the templates. I would like that the cars be closer, much closer in their body style to um, what you can go in the showroom and buy. Now, the problem is you're never going to get to the point where you're really buying anything engine-wise that's derivative from what's being run on the track because of our fuel standards and emission standards and right. all that out that ship has sailed and that's that's sad the only one that really makes tries to even make that case anymore is toyota like they constantly sell that toyota racing development in informs everything they do in the rest of their vehicles I'm like, ah, okay whatever yeah, i don't know I, I i don't see a push rod v8 in anything they have but yeah the, the car should be much more dissimilar the body style should be much more similar 
to what you know with some some aero modifications that you have to have to keep the vehicle safe they should be much more similar but then i mean that's it's been that way for a long time like you you know you weren't going to get a lot of downforce out of a ford Taurus, but that also shouldn't ever have been the car that was being run on the track mm-hmm. right it made sense for them the monte carlo freaking made sense the superbird made sense um well, the Monte Carlo is actually front wheel. Well, the, I'm talking about the Monte Carlo after the Lumina because the Lumina was front wheel drive. And no, Monte- I'm talking about the Monte Carlo. I'm talking about the OG Monte Carlo. OG Monte Carlo, yeah, you're right. Which is st- just an incredibly like the actual street vehicle, OG Monte Carlo and Super Sport. Ah, mm. they were beautiful cars. Mm. They were. And but- you know what? The cars on the track looked uh, just like them. Because they essentially were they they used yeah. they at least used the, the the same sheet metal, which is I yeah. think where NASCAR needs to return to. And British touring cars, if you if you make a front wheel drive car, you race a front wheel drive car. If you make a yeah. rear wheel drive car, you race a rear wheel drive car. There's no reason why NASCAR doesn't go back to that. I mean, yeah, it's just too disconnected. And on the I get it. Like I'm not anti-advancement, but like the the single lug wheels versus the five lug nuts. A, you're further removed from what's out on the road. Um, the digital dash, sure. Well, now there's the argument that the digital dash is closer to what's on the road. But part of the thing, like you're losing the art form of the thing. Like not newer isn't always better. You're losing some of the artistry to it. But I would argue, too, that if NASCAR stayed stock, right, I think American cars would have a more identity. Like, it would, they would actually have um, incentive to make V8 rear-wheel drive cars. Yeah. And let that let that be a, an American thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, although, like, okay, Mercedes does it, BMW does it, whatever. But, man, that's run what you brought. Like, and if you have to bring a Ford Taurus, well, sorry. That's all you got. Yeah. And I mean, you and I live in a time where you can go down to a Ford dealership right now and buy a quote unquote Ford Mustang with a four banger in it. No, no. Oh, this is where we're going to disagree, Kale. Oh, no. Look, I have like right behind me is a little four cylinder engine that I'm building up. It's going to have a big turbo on it. All sorts of things can and should have four cylinders in them. My four, I got no qualms with the four liter in my four escape. Okay. 2.3 liter, little turbo charge, whatever. It's fine. Okay. You, the, it's an American muscle car. It should growl. It should speak to your soul. Yeah, I That's, think it should make power. I think it should make power. Matt, with my van right now, I'm probably done with Chrysler and Chrysler-related product, products. That said, uh, forget even like the Demon and the Hellcat. Just, just any number of Dodge's SRTs roll by you, and it speaks to your soul. That's despite all of the many government restrictions that have tried to neuter it and the mufflers that are on it. You find somebody with the gumption, like the China, listen, the Chinese government buys a Hellcat 
or a challenger SRT, there's not gonna be musclers on it. I'll tell you that they'll take them suckers off. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, I mean, you think about, it's just a, I don't know how you of all people can disagree with me on this, that take, take whatever car you want that can go as fast as you could want to go and beyond with, with tech, right? With the technological advancements and the lighter and the displacement and the weight. Fine. Let that pull up at a stoplight on your left. And then let like an old Chevelle or a Camaro or an old Mustang or a Barracuda roll up next to you on the right and you hear that engine and you feel it in your soul and you smell that carbureted exhaust, you don't give a crap about that <laughs> pile of computer on the left. Well, yeah, so muscle cars back then had a lot of things going for it. And I would argue that it would not, if it did not have a V8, it's not a muscle car. I, 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 would, I would say that. However, there, there, there is no heir apparent to our muscle cars at this point. There is no heir apparent no. other than what Dodge has done with the Charger and the Challenger. I, I feel like with the C7s and the C8s, the Corvette has gotten back to its stride. Obviously, they've added some tech, but that's still a big engine and a raw power vehicle. There's tech on top of it, but I think it stays more true to what the Corvette is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Mustang, absolutely not. Um, Camaro kind of depends. I, I can't mm-hmm. believe Chevy's killing it off again. I can't believe they're killing it off again. It's it'll, it'll be back. I, I just don't know if they're ever like this homage to the 69 body. I just don't know that they're ever going to do that again. And it's just made such beautiful vehicles. No. So de- de- depending on which model. Um, okay. Um, but just dude, I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, somebody could hand me the keys to a Bugatti. And if they said, if you put it in neutral and roll it off that cliff over there, I'll give you the keys to this 69 Super Sport Camaro. Dude, Saya freaking Nara Bugatti, you're I, gone. I agree. Now, I understand that I could sell that Bugatti and buy many, many 69 Camaro Super Sports. I don't care. Yeah. Well, you have your preferences, obviously. Like I, I, I might use the Camaro to push the Bugatti off the cliff. But don't scratch the bumper. Don't do that. Don't do that. There. It's but, chrome. It'll be fine. Dude, dude, I don't believe you could scratch a Camaro with actually, a Bugatti. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, but here, <laughs> here's the deal. Like, I love V8s. I think there's a place for them. I Unfortunately, you're talking to a guy that also enjoys little four-cylinder turbos that will absolutely scare a V8. Like, you know what I mean? Because... I do like the little turbo noise. I do like the you know, like that my car does. You know, I know you hate that, but I like it. And uh, honestly, okay, so the Mustang four-cylinder turbo, there was a Fox body SVT Mustang with a two-point-three cylinder. Sorry, a two-point-three liter turbo. So it's not that ridiculous. 
Eh. It just doesn't, it just doesn't belong. Like I'm not saying there's no place for those things. I'm just saying they don't belong in our stock cars. They don't belong in our muscle cars. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'm okay. If, if we really want to return to stock car racing, which I really, really want, I really, really want, I think we're going to have to be okay with six cylinder turbos, four cylinder turbos going up against V8s and having that, that mix. I think that'd be fantastic. Yeah. We'll see. I think we're going to have this conversation pretty much every time you're on the podcast. Yeah. Because so you're, cause you're wrong about your thing. I'm sorry. I will tell you this. There is a fantastic stock car racing going on probably weekly at your local short track. And you should go out and get a hot dog and some boiled peanuts and support what those guys are doing and enjoy it. And you know what? If they fight in the pits afterwards, I doubt they probably won't be fined and the crowd will probably cheer. Um, and uh, um, it makes me want to go out to the races right now. We're recording on it. Tomorrow's a, a Friday. Maybe uh, maybe we'll try and pull it off this weekend. Well, go to my go to my home, New Smyrna. They always have good stuff there. Tell them Chris sent you. Maybe they might remember no. me. Smyrna's a great track. Sadly, Orlando Speed World's uh, kind of gone downhill out with management out there, but New Smyrna still still rocks out and a great place. Watch some some ra- and you'll see good racing. You really oh, will. Yeah. yeah so. Well, dude, I love you. Appreciate you coming on the podcast. As always, always a good time. Of course. Uh, love to hear from the, you know, how things are going up there in the frozen north. Um, you know, get a report on the, on the northeast uh, from you. But uh, seriously, always appreciate it. Always fun. And uh, you're one of, I don't know about anybody else, but you're one of my wife's favorite guests, which <gasps> is not. No- That's a huge feather in my cap. Yeah. Not nothing. So we'll do it again for sure. Uh, we'll get you back uh, on the calendar. Listeners, we, of course, love and appreciate you as well. If you haven't already, do me a favor and uh, stop by the website, solid7podcast.com, solid7podcast.com, where you can always find links to the latest episodes of the podcast, like the one you've just listened to right now. And new, new, Chris, you don't know this. Mm-hmm. Right there on the Saw 7 podcast, second link down is a link to our merch store <gasps> where you can now buy yourself an above average t shirt, wow. an above average, an above average hoodie, and wait for it, ladies, an above average racer back tank top. And I just can't think of a better way to express your love for the Solid 7 podcast to the world. Uh, than with one of those fine garments. So that's live on the website right now. Be sure to go and check that out. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be up front. I'm going to be honest. Um, these are not bargain basement pricing. Uh, they're not price to sell. I'm not going to lie. Here's the deal. New to the merch, merch game. Uh, I'm not dealing with any kind of volume numbers, so I'm really not getting any kind of price break on these uh, myself. So what you see is just a little bit of a, a minimum markup, uh, to support the podcast. And so, uh, you know, yeah, you could buy t-shirts for less. Sure you could, but would you feel as good about it? And would you look as good in it 
I think the answer to both of those questions is no. So be sure to uh, get on there. Check out the uh, the new merch. Uh, hopefully you guys will like it. Um, and if you don't, I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. Don't buy it. But uh, right there on the website, you'll find uh, links to upcoming events like Sandlot Jacks uh, coming up here in April. Uh, with our friends over at GoRuck. You'll also find our affiliate link for uh, GoRuck, Origin, Jocko Fuel, uh, and Tuttle Twins. Uh, all great companies to support. Um, you'll be happy with their products uh, 100%. They'll, uh, they'll kick a little back to the podcast. Our social media is on there. On and on and on. You can become a Patreon supporter. All kinds of fun stuff. And Patreon supporters, uh, they're going to be getting a little discount code for the old merch store there so all the more reason to become a patreon supporter if you don't want to do any of that you're like i'm not going to a website that's cool i get it um do this for me though right now you probably have a podcast app open listening to this somewhere in that app it will let you subscribe or follow the solid seven podcast just just do it What, what are you waiting for you got nothing to lose uh, it'll let you give us a little thumbs up, a little five-star rating. No harm, no foul. doesn't cost you anything. If you're really feeling froggy, you can write us a review. All that stuff goes a long way to help other people find the podcast and the joy and the enlightenment that you have just experienced. So all that right there uh, on the website and in your podcast app and uh, any and all support is, as always, appreciated. Chris, I love you, buddy. Listeners, we love you. We'll see you next week. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events And a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. How are you so freaking good at that stuff, man? 